I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are The, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome Hello. to the official podcast of The Gibson Review. In this episode is The Weekend Review. That is where we talk about what TV shows and movies we have been watching since the last week in review. This actually is a episode covering two episodes worth of the week in review because we did something I don't know that we've ever done before, which is we had to cancel an episode. A week in review episode is probably the best episode to cancel, in all honesty. Uh, but we had, first of all, scheduling issues with Shannon's work schedule and then illness. And it, I was down to the last day and I had to call it because it just was not happening. So we have double the content for you. Hopefully not too much close to double the time. Where Shanna talks about her week, I talk about my week, and then we talk about our week, what we've been watching together. So let's get into it, Shanna. Without further ado, tell us about your week in review. My weekend review was pretty cool. You know, being sick means that I had time to just lie down and watch stuff, uh, which, you know, sometimes is really appealing, but I am so over it right now because now my sickness has become allergies and I'm just so mm. peeved and I'm like, just think back to when I was watching the Scream movies. Which we'll uh, get to in a bit. You know, I was healthy. And just fine then, mm. and everything else I am now associating with being sick. So. Yes, but it, to be clear, it wasn't like you had time to sit back and do nothing. You actually powered through all of your work responsibilities. Yeah, so in between, I had a lot of work to do. Yeah. So. All right, so what did you watch? So I watched the final season of The Servant. I think that they have a total of four seasons. Yeah, that's right. Four seasons uh, starring Lauren Ambrose, who's also from... A lot of things. Uh, was she in that HBO show you really love about the morticians? Yeah, which I'm forgetting. <laughs> I guess I'll just go there. Six Feet Under. Ah, That's mm. what I know her from really well. Mm. Toby Kebble, who I know very well from Rock and Roller. And and he was in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, too. Yeah. Then Nell Tiger Free mm. is our our main protagonist, I guess. Okay. Um, she's the nanny. And then we've got Rupert Grint from Harry Potter. Uh -huh. And so it's really nice to see him in this different role. And I, I think my favorite season is probably the first season. I thought that that was very tight and well done. Uh, the fourth season is obviously wrapping things up, and it doesn't feel rushed. It's much darker, I feel, than the previous seasons, because okay. we've got some supernatural stuff happening in this family. What's the premise of the show in the first place? I'm not really clear on what that is. Well, you see, it's spoiler heavy. Uh -huh. You only find out what's really going on, I think, in like the eighth episode oh, uh, of season. season one. Okay, You know, what... what why is this happening the way it's happening? And so the way they describe it is it's a Philadelphia couple. Uh, news reporter is Lauren. Okay. And Toby is a very celebrated uh, chef. Uh-huh. 
and the two of them are trying to recover after an unspeakable tragedy. So that's basically the best non-spoiler description. Okay, and as a full series, it was as satisfying. Did it work? Was one season better than another? What What do you think of it? Yeah, whole? season four definitely wrapped things up in a way that I wasn't anticipating, uh-huh. uh, which was good. Uh, it It concluded everything in a really good way, and it was it was it was very good. But I really do love season one mm. and a little bit of a little bit more season two. It's kind of in order. I love one, two, three, four. Okay. You know, but I appreciate how the show ended because sometimes that's difficult to do. Uh, who would you recommend this series for? Is it for everybody? Do you think everybody would love this or people with particular types of tastes? I think it's really specific, actually. I want to say, oh, I'd recommend this to nannies, but it's not necessarily, you know, mm. for everybody. If you're a fan of these performers, then I think you should go watch it. If you're a fan of Rupert Grint or any of the others I mentioned, then you should go watch it because they're kind of in this different role, uh-huh. all of them. And I enjoyed seeing them sort of stretch that. And I recommend this if you're into Supernatural, if you're into... Uh, Not the of, TV show, but general... No, like if you're into like religious culty stuff. Okay. It's just, it's not overbearing. It's just a sprinkling. Uh-huh. Life, death, if you're into those things. Uh, and if you're into how stories are unfolding with dealing with trauma. What do you rate the series overall? Overall, I'd give it an eight. Okay. Yeah. And season four? Uh, season four, I'd give like a six. Oh, wow. Okay. So it was definitely the worst of the The series. best part was how they finished everything. But okay. There were certain things where I was like, eh. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. The next one is, you know, in case I didn't mention it, Servant is on Apple. And then this next one is also on Apple. Oh, okay. Uh, Truth Be Told, starring Octavia Spencer, Mackay Pfeiffer, Ron Jones, Tracy Toms, Hanifa Wood, and like a lot of other talents. Huh. But uh, what happens in this show is there's like a visiting cast per season with whichever, whatever story they're tackling. And so our visitor this time was Gabriella Union, who is, you know, if, if you're as old as me, you saw her in 10 Things I Hate About You, but especially Bring It On. And Bad Boys 2, it looks oh, like. Oh, yes, she, Bad Boys 2, yeah. She played uh, Martin sister. Lawrence's. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and she's in that show, L.A.'s Finest. Okay. Uh, that's like a spin-off from Bad Boys. <clears throat> anyway, this is a great show. It's about a true crime podcaster trying to solve mysteries. Uh, and each season, there's a different mystery. Season three was tackling human trafficking, specifically how uh, girls are targeted mm. and manipulated into being sex trafficked, mm. especially black girls. Mm. So this was very interesting to see how how close it actually is. It's it's not the guy wearing a hat and a trench coat quickly coming and grabbing your kid. Mm. So it was... Gabriella Union was playing the principal and she was demonstrating to parents in this really effective way how easy it was for somebody to manipulate a high school aged girl to uh, be sex trafficked. It was really fantastic. It really made the message clear and the threat clear. And I really enjoyed that. 
And so, so I would give this season probably a nine out of ten. Uh, and it's not their final season, I don't think. Okay. So. Okay. And who plays the podcaster? Octavia Spencer. Okay. So light entertainment you got going on here. We got the, the dark recesses of the podcast on, on Shanna's week. Let's continue with that. The vein. darkness. Yes. Yes. Before we get into the light. So. so uh, Comic-Con came up. We, I don't think we've really spoken about that. Okay. And that might be fun to speak about at the end. But we had Comic-Con. Uh-huh. It's where we met. And not not this year, but yes, yes, obviously. Yes. Uh, okay. This was our 10th year going together, 11 years since we met. Yeah? Yeah, give or take like COVID. And in preparation for that, the Scream cast reunion was coming to Comic-Con. Yeah, the original yeah. cast. Everyone but Rose McGowan... David Arquette and Courtney Cox were there. Yeah. And, and Drew Barrymore, of course. Yeah. And I I watched Scream when I was way too young and was completely and utterly freaked out. The original. Yeah. So I thought, oh, well, let me watch it again. You and I watched it a, like a month or two ago. Yeah. And then I thought, well, you know, I'd, I'd like to watch the other Scream movies because Scream isn't bad. It's actually really good. And I'd like to watch the rest in preparation for anything that might get spoiled at Comic-Con because that's how it rolls. Like, well, to be clear, like you weren't going to make it to that panel. I thought that maybe I would be able to, but then it didn't work out. And also a little of my perspective, you kept saying... You wanted to watch the Scream movies, and for some reason, the context in my head was you wanted to watch four and five because you really you kept chomping at the bit to watch Scream Six, and I didn't understand from what you were saying that you never have seen Scream Two and Three. I know that you and you had not seen four and five because we've been together most of that time. But I did not understand that you hadn't seen Scream 2 and 3. So you actually want to watch Scream 2 through 5 in prep for a Scream 6. Yeah, I actually wanted to watch everything. So I went ahead and got a Paramount Plus subscription thinking, oh, I'm just going to watch it for the Scream movies. But then I was like, oh, there's other stuff on here too. So I'll just... Never mind the fact that we actually have the, the trilogy on Blu-ray. Why but not? Go ahead. Well, I needed the other one. I, I wanted to go hardcore into it. I wanted to watch all of it. Yes. So I watched every single movie. In um, one day. In one day. It was in a Scream day. In one day. Yeah. Which I love the Scream movies, particularly the original trilogy. I And even for me, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> we go. We, all right. You want to watch the four? Okay. All right. Really? It's like 10 o'clock. You want to watch? Okay. I had a lot of uh, post-production stuff I had to work on, too, so it was perfect for me. Yeah. <laughs> it was a lot. Because okay, if so, I need to look away, then I can just edit, edit, edit. So share with me first what your thoughts of Scream 2 and 3 were. Because those are the ones that like I've carried with me for like over 20 years. And I have my own thoughts on it. But what do you think of Scream 2 Scream and 3? Scream 2 was really good. It was a good way. You know, what's really great about Scream is they're often talking about scary movies in the their in their universe and it's like an opportunity to not necessarily poke fun but like recognize yeah. what are the story elements that make up a scary movie sequel and 
that was pretty fun to see how they were dealing with that and what the formula was, which I think plays out maybe a little bit later with other movies. And I enjoyed number two. Uh, number three was okay, but I liked number four the least. Well, well, well let's focus on two and three first, because I really want I want to hear what your thoughts are on two and three. Three was interesting. I was like, oh yeah, no, this could be this. What it boils down to is like, who is the killer and why, right? Were you able to guess in two and three? Was one more predictable than another for you? No. So what was interesting was one, two, and three. I couldn't quite get it right. Uh. And I don't think you can really get it right in two and three because it's kind of these like, it's like, I'm not going to spoil anything. So I'm just going to shut up. (laughs) Um, So it was interesting to see the pattern that Mm. they created. Mm. I've loved three. I've always loved three. So, uh, but I know that it's considered by far the worst one. And so when I was watching this one with you, I was trying to consider why is it considered the worst? And I think, first of all, I think it has the most humor. And I don't think necessarily, like, the most effective humor. But I think, like, it's trying to be the most humorous. And I think Parker Posey is a big part of that. But also, I think what undoes number three, and one reason why I didn't like that they made more movies, is... The third one really relies on it being the end of a trilogy. Is that when, like, the like it's heavy security on the property and the door drafts open and the person just walks away because they're comfortable now? They feel safe? Yeah. Okay, I like that ending, yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely relied on it, it being a trilogy because it also talks about, like, all bets are off, like, this is a trilogy, all this sort of stuff, which... Also, that starts to fall apart when you really think about, like, at that time, there really wasn't many horror trilogies. And yeah. and the ones you can think of, like maybe The Evil Dead, don't really adhere to what Randy explains a horror trilogy is. He's really more talking about other kinds of trilogies. So it does kind of yeah. fall apart in that way. Okay. So I kind of get that. But I was really curious to what extent you enjoyed it. Yeah, I I did enjoy it. And I keep calling it a scary movie instead of a horror movie franchise. But mm. that's just where I'm going with that. Are you ready to move on to talking about number four? So t- tell, tell us a bit about four and five. Well, I'm not going to lump them into the same thing. Okay. I think you can lump one, two, and three together. Okay. And then I think four is kind of this lone... Uh, Ranger okay. is how I see it. Okay, fair enough. So number four is a significantly, I think it's the worst one. Okay. Even though I don't want it to be the worst one because like Hayden Panettiere is in it and I'm like, I love her. Yeah. And I want her to keep acting. Um, <laughs> I want to see her on the screen. She was popular at the time a, because of Heroes. Yeah, and I know she went into that Tennessee show, Nashville, Nashville, sure. So I'm oh, sure she's yeah, fine. But, right. you know, it's always nice to see her. And this was the last film that Wes Craven directed before he died. Mm -hmm. And this was speaking a little bit to online celebrity culture. Yeah. Yeah. So that was interesting how you don't have to necessarily be a movie star or Mm -hmm. a music celebrity or 
royal mm-hmm. to have celebrity status. Mm-hmm. Kind of calling out a little bit more blatantly what was actually happening with Cotton Weary in the original trilogy, basically. But you say it's the worst movie. Do you feel like it's like a bad movie or one that you would it's, never watch again? Or do you think it's just the weakest? I think it's the weakest. It's not necess- It's not the worst movie in the world. But out of the franchise, I think that's the weaker one. Mm, Even okay. though it has like this nice description we just gave. That's what I think. It's certainly the first one that pissed me off. Had any scene that kind of pissed me off because there's a party which takes me out of the movie because it's 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 like a stab marathon, right? Stab is oh, the yeah. movie within the movie based on what happened in the first movie. I kind of like that part, though. But that marathon would never take place in, in the context of what's happening in the movie because people are actually starting to get killed, right? So that would have been publicly shut down and canceled for out of good taste first of all and also for the safety of everyone there but in that scene gail weathers has all these cameras set up to try to spot the killer and it's very obvious that someone is moving those cameras with their hands and she's like a bewildered and oblivious like oblivious like something happened to the cameras Oh, yeah, there's like a, yeah. And then she calls Dewey, and she doesn't like, and she literally sees the killer, by the way, in one of the cameras. And she never, in that conversation, says, Dewey, get over here. I saw the killer. The killer is here. She never says those simple words, and they get into an argument, and I'm just like, oh, my God, this is maddening. And I haven't had a scene in the Scream series that maddening uh before so i i kind of hear you in the sense of like it being a step down just because of stuff like that yeah yeah shall we talk about five sure i enjoyed number five i thought it was a really great way to keep the franchise going Mm. uh you know if you compare it to something like star wars like how are they keeping that going you know the luke the skywalker part especially is like oh how can we keep this going and i felt like Scream 5 was a little bit like, how do we keep this going? And they found mm. a good way to have have it, you know. Mm-hmm. Continue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I thought that it was a good production. I thought it was a good story. I thought it was pretty tight. There were a couple times where I thought a certain character should have actually just died. Um, and there's, you know, no way. Like, it, it kind of made me want to research stabbing. <laughs> and how exactly fatal can it be? Mm. and how is the recovery process actually (laughs) Mm. um you'll have to remind me off mic who it is you're talking about but but i i i I think it's amusing and interesting well yeah i mean like especially when you think in terms of the first two scream movies and a particular character that got horribly wounded and still ended up in the third film anyway so that was, you know, the one thing that was pissing me off. And then, you know, there's there's a scene in a hospital that both of both yes. you and me were really angry about. Like, yes, four was guilty of this, too, at the end. But yes, oh, yes. five. Like, yes. apparently no one is staffing the hospital. What the fuck? But then I was like, you know what? You could justify that if it was happening in New York during the nurses' strike or something like that. There's a way you could have made it relevant. You this could is in have Woodsboro, been like, though. Okay, cool. Um, you could have made it relevant and been like, 
well, there's a nurse's strike. And it could have just been like a two second thing. It would have completely been believable. It would have just made it not an irritation. They should have just done that. I'm hmm. side eyeing you. Okay, go I ahead. I mean, I know that. Nobody was in this hospital, period. Yeah, they should have had did, something. It was empty for the sake of the scene to happen. Well, and wasn't five produced, was it produced after COVID or before? Oh, it was definitely before. No, 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 no! I'm being dumb. It's it was it was last year, it was a it was a 22 movie. Then you should know better. Like mm. hospitals have way more security nowadays. Yeah, yeah. Because of COVID. So. Yeah. So, but despite that, I, I mean, unless it's in a different whatever. Yeah. Despite that, I love the cast. I love the new characters. The story was great. I really enjoyed Number Five. Did you? So I was worn down at this point by you. <laughs> oh, you so didn't I'm trying to have a little break. No, I didn't have a break at all. It was like one right after the other with you. And I'm trying to remember. I think I liked all of the movies overall, but I could see like there were the four and five were the first two that actually had scenes that pissed me off that I can re- recall. And so I liked it. Here's the thing about scream. Like I was, I'm, I am very squeamish as I've gotten older, right? I am not into watching movies that are really gory, really bloody. And so, what I've always loved about Scream as a slasher film series is, in in its essence, it's it's more like a game of tag, in a way. Like pokey pokey, I yeah. gotcha. Yeah. You're, you know, you're out, and. You know, it's not really emphasizing the gore and the just it doesn't feel the need to get really brutal and horrible with it. Uh, It does. This one does do a couple things that I haven't seen before Mm. in the screen films like Daylight Kill and such. But still, uh, I that's kind of like what makes me comfortable about Scream. It's still like very intense. At times, though, you know? So I liked it. I do like... I like all the movies, really. But this... this the hospital stuff really kind of took me out and pissed me off. Yeah. Overall. And I also... That was the one I had spoiled for me by someone on Instagram who... Who showed a scene at the end of the movie. Let's put it that way. In the last 20 minutes of the movie. Was shown on Instagram after three months of it being... In the theaters. And so once I saw a particular character in the movie, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's the killer. And you, I was watching that person's behavior, and it's kind of telegraphed. Oh, that's upsetting. Yes. Because something that makes the screen movies enjoyable is the journey of trying to figure out who is it. Yes. Now, I will say. One thing I forgot is Scream 4 was more predictable in that sense. I was able to guess who the killer was. At least, yes, I was able to guess in Scream 4. I wasn't really, I don't know if I would have been able to guess the killer in Scream had it not been spoiled for me. Hmm, Were you able to? I was lulled into a false sense of security. And so when Mm. we got to the party, Mm. I was able to figure out one person. Mm Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, I'll just say that. I will say there was a, that was another thing. The party it was like 
there's a killer out there. Everybody go home. <laughs> I was like, no, keep everybody there. These are the most important characters to the story. You want them surrounded by everyone. You know, strength in numbers. Why are you sending them all home? You're making things more dangerous for yourself. I forgot about that. Yeah. All right, so all of this is leading up to you. You seeing Scream 6. I did not want to join you because I heard this one is the most brutal. This is the one where they do try to amp the gore. And also, do I really need to see these characters that I loved who still survived get killed? I'm thinking that's likely what happens. But mostly, I didn't want to be trapped in the cinema forced to watch like something really, really icky that I'll never be able to unsee. <laughs> so you really wanted to see it. You're like, I'm powering through. Yeah. You went and saw it. What did you think of Scream 6? I loved it. I loved it. It uh, I, at first I thought Jeff can't be real with this whole gory, you know, thing. It took a while to find someone to go and watch it with me because I wasn't going to go watch it alone. Because in the second movie, the beginning of the second movie, they're going to go watch Stabby or whatever. Yeah, yeah, Stab. Stab yeah. And two people, like two people, get killed. So I'm like, I'm not going <laughs> by myself to watch Scream Six. Just stay out of the bathroom, love. <laughs> Yeah, likely, with my bladder. <laughs> anyway, so I found two horror hound friends of ours who were willing to go with me. And that was a really fun experience. And at one point, I jumped, like, really high. And when I wore... It was a good experience to view with people. There were four other people in the theater. So uh, that was fun. I came in to the theater pretty loud before everything started. And I said, hi, I'm sorry. I might scream and jump. <laughs> and so they laughed and like, they barely responded to anything, but they oh. did laugh at me oh. jumping. Mm. So that was pretty funny. Was it a good crowd though, that you saw it with? Was it a responsive crowd? It's hard to tell because I think I was the most responsive <laughs> there. And then my friend next to me was also pretty responsive. So okay. um, everybody else was pretty fucking chill. Like, I don't know if they took weed or something like that, or if they are just like, you know, maybe just whatever. they are horror hounds and maybe, they're so yeah. desensitized. Yeah. They're like, oh, we'll just see what happens here. And then they yeah. like, look at the rookie over there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so the experience was fun. Yeah. The movie was great. There is a lot that I want you to see in this film and I want you to just step away whenever there's gruesome because the gruesome is real. It mm, is pretty bad. Mm. It is pushing its the boundaries totally mm. there. Did not like that. There was a lot of dark mm. blood. Me so, no likey. <laughs> yeah. And, and a lot of unnecessary, like not typical scream stuff uh. in the first few few uh like maybe 10 15 minutes okay but the best part of it was all this chit-chatting about film no. and horror film specifically and trying to figure out what's there it got a little meta with what's our role in this franchise mm. you know with this particular movie that is an important element of every scream movie is it, it can't just be First of all, the Scream movies have always been self-contained to this family in Woodsboro and, and the Sidney Prescott story. But yeah, and then it's we breaking out to of that. New York, so as you can see in the trailer. What's also 
key about the Scream series, aside from it being like one continuing story, pretty much, is is they're each a they're each commenting on a type of sequel, more or less, right? In the horror genre, and so it has it can't just be a, a straight ahead slasher movie. It has to have some commentary, mm. and this one continues that you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I also found myself, you know, recently there was a law. I I know it's in Washington State, but I don't know if it's around the country where you can carry a gun. Uh Uh-huh, I still carry, yes. Yeah, thank you. And I'm not a gun person, but I found myself infuriated in this movie, wondering, where are the gun-toting fucking people? Uh. (laughs) You know, where are they? It's happening in New York surely there is, you know, one in 10 that carry a gun. I don't know. I don't know what the laws are there, yeah. actually, now that I'm thinking about it. But I, I found myself at one point wondering, you know, why? Why Why isn't... If you are a survivor of Stabby Man, why are you not carrying a gun? Mm. Like, if something horrible like that had happened to me and I survived... Bitch, I'm going on survival training. <laughs> like yeah. and I'm gonna carry all the things that I am legally allowed to carry with me. So you're saying the movie was frustrating? No, like I I just it made me think about things in context of like, well, what's happening in the world right now? Mm. Because I wanted to see like how are we making it relevant to today. And does it? I'm in other ways, yes. Okay. Was it predictable? So I went in it totally chill. I'm like, I just want to enjoy the ride. But I did guess one person. Uh-huh. So that was pretty So it exciting. is a multiple. See, that's the other thing is I think in the entire Scream series, there's only been one entry where it's only one killer. I believe so. Yeah. I was trying to think if there was two, but I think it is just one. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, so you enjoy Scream. Uh, how would you rate Scream 6? I think it's one of my favorites, actually. Okay. So I guess if I had to, are you asking me to rate all of them? Well, uh, rank. That was my second question. Okay. That was my follow-up question. So I but... would rate this like probably a nine. I thought wow. it was that great. Whoa. Okay. We don't necessarily need is it all the blood, yeah. but it's yeah. You know... Is it as good or better than the original? I think it might be better. <gasps> Whoa. Because wow. of its relevancy in talking about franchises huh. in particular. Wow. Okay, so how would you I rank really the series? It. So I'd probably put six at the top. Wow. Five, one, two, three, four. Is five? You think five is even better than the first one? I don't know, but uh, you know, <sighs> I wasn't I wasn't going to rank them, but here we are <laughs> on the fly. <laughs> Number one is cool. Number yeah. one is special. Yeah. But I don't have, like, an emotional attachment to it. Huh. So. Okay. So you say six, five, one, and then what's the bottom three? Two, three, order? four. Two, three, four. Okay. Wow. All right. All right. So those are the Scream movies and Scream 6. Now we exit the darkness and enter the light with a show that you have been binging like crazy lately that you somehow discovered. What I is discovered this? this on Facebook Reels. Weird. Yeah, like um, there was a particular clip. Uh-huh. And I just related to it so much. Okay. And I was like, what is this? And then I went on a hunt to find 
where to watch it. And uh-huh. so you can watch, I think it's season one, two, three on HBO. Okay. And then I think yes, the one, two, other three. season, uh, the latest season is on Paramount. So I don't know if that's where it's going to be from well, now on. It's a CBS show as I understand it, which okay. would make sense. And I don't know what the rights are there, like yeah. how long HBO is going to hold it for or right. whatever. But <sighs> what's it called? Bob Hart's Abashola. And it's very cute. It's got a bob and then a heart drawn and then Abishola. And it stars Billy Gardell. He's known for Mike and Molly. Okay. And then Foloke Ola. We're going to figure out how. Yeah, good luck. Folaka Olo Foyeka. How many times did you practice that? It had to become a song. Um, My (laughs) tongue just doesn't do that anymore. Um, So this is a show about Bob, who has a heart attack, goes into hospital, and falls in love with Abishola, a Nigerian nurse. And what's great is this story isn't like, oh, episode one, they fall in love and they get married and then they're going to have their life. Yeah. It's actually a slow, like, s- realistic progression of a relationship. And you know that they're going to end up together, but it just takes time as things do. Hmm. And so I've watched, I think, I believe I'm in season three right now. And it's just such a lovely, heartwarming show about families coming together and finding love and respecting one another you know respecting each other's needs in a relationship and figuring those out together Mm. and having cultural differences as well and learning how to navigate that it's interesting to see americans with other cultures uh falling in love and stuff because you know that's what you did you fell in love with south african and we even have some like cultural differences and yeah uh, so it's very relatable for me Mm. in that way and i just find the characters wonderful and they remind me so much of what i grew up with Mm. so i am in love with this show there are lots of other people in this show i am particularly fond of gina yasheri uh, who is abishola's best friend shola adawusi uh, who is the aunt, who is also in that British show, Chewing Gum. Oh, okay. Barry Shabaka Henley is the uncle. Uh, and, you know, those are just some of my favorite characters. Uh, there's lots of other characters in the show as well. And, and lots of quirky characters as well. And I also love uh, Abishola's kind of character arc, where she goes through this, you don't have to just work and be with family you can enjoy yourself too and she kind of goes through this period where you know she's just very focused on her work but then she branches out and she's like i can have a little fun too and i i love seeing that for her okay so how many seasons have aired at this point you're you're three you're in you're somewhere in season three how many have aired at this point so the fourth season is airing right now. Okay. And that'll go until the end of May. Uh, sure. 
And okay. I believe it's already been renewed for a fifth season. Gotcha. It's also the same people that did Big Bang Theory. So Chuck really? Lore okay. Chuck Lore in them. Uh-huh. So it's it's really lovely. It's short episodes. It's perfect for if you just need something lighthearted. Uh, and it's very funny. So if you're into sitcoms. If you're into sitcoms, it's good for you. If you know you're into cultures that aren't american like that humor Mm. it's good for you it's very unusual for an american sitcom i will say that i think that's it's refreshing to see such a very different non-american culture being represented in an american sitcom Mm -hmm. yeah um and i'm not nigerian so i don't know how accurate they are being but what's great is you do see bob trying to learn yoruba so he can speak with Abishola and Abishola's family members ah. and uh, also his employees. He's got like at least two that are from Nigeria. And so it's really nice. It's also happening in Detroit. Ah. So that's that's a little bit of fun. I think most of it's happening on set. But you know. it takes place yeah. in Detroit. Yeah. yeah. OK. All right. So what do you rate Bob Hart's Abishola? A nine. Wow. That's really great. great. One of the best things you've ever seen. So now with my heart warming, all done. Yeah. <laughs> after my like dark box. Yes. Of like no, scary a, stuff. A long segment for you. So now it's time for my weekend review. I just have a handful of things. Most of them will go kind of quickly. I noticed on Netflix. I was going to talk about this in in the episode we didn't have. There is a documentary that has been sitting on our my list for a while that was expiring. That was leaving Netflix. So mm-hmm. I took advantage. I think we I was planning on watching it with you because I think you'd find it interesting too. But I just I dove in and I watched it. It was the lack the last blockbuster. This is the Netflix documentary about the actual location in Bend, Oregon. That is the last remaining blockbuster in existence. And so as a cinephile, as someone who grew up in the 80s and 90s, as someone who is a big into physical format, you know, I was naturally very inclined to see this movie. I was very much interested because I I knew, first of all, you have talking heads like Kevin Smith and and several other people talking about movie, uh, talking about video stores and that and video store culture and what it used to be like and stuff. And Mm. And all that, and talking about Blockbuster in particular, talking about the history of Blockbuster and such, and so all of that is very interesting. I can, I was puzzled the entire time I'm watching the movie. I'm thinking, well, like, it, it's not just Blockbuster that existed. Like, there are other out there, and by that I don't mean the mom and pops, the small businesses, because it addresses those for sure. I'm like, I was, I went to Hollywood Video. Like, Hollywood Video was the one that we went to when we stopped going to a more locally owned or maybe the locally owned one closed i think uh video rental store and uh, so i was like well why isn't he even addressing that you know and i had to do my own research i just discovered oh the focus so much is on blockbuster not just because of the the actual location that it's focusing on but because blockbuster as a chain had six thousand locations across the united states at its peak it's a lot hollywood video had somewhere in the hundreds okay so like even though hollywood video was a 
was competition. It was like it did not have the market share mm. nationwide that Blockbuster had. And I didn't realize this because Blockbuster didn't come into my city mm-hmm. until like the late 90s or something, right? I so, find that very interesting. Yeah. 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 So like I had no idea. Like I, I didn't live where Blockbuster was prevalent. So I, that was interesting, but I had to learn that on my own based on my own curiosity after watching this documentary. I think the documentary, if you can find it, I don't know where it is now, but if you, but I think it's, if you're a cinephile, if you're a fan of movies, if you grew up in the eighties and nineties, you are, are nostalgic or, or remember that time when you go somewhere and you could browse an endless supply of titles and pick something. I think this documentary is for you. I think it's also interesting to learn about, as it does in detail, the last remaining location of Blockbuster and the people who run it. Mm-hmm. I think that's very interesting. I think this movie is more interesting and, 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 and learning about this location is more interesting than Netflix's subsequent sitcom, Blockbuster, mm-hmm. which is ostensibly about the last location mm-hmm. of Blockbuster, uh, which I think made some poor poor creative decisions, despite it having a great cast like Melissa Fromero, who I love. So I, I recommend The Last Blockbuster, if you can find it. I don't know where it is now, but I recommend it. Okay. Also, I, I you know, I posted my favorite 30s of the 30s. Post. I'm, I'm, I've been since working on an article where I am going through the films of Lynn Shelton. Mm-hmm. and reviewing and ranking them. I've done this with several other films. I'm, I don't think I've done it with a filmography yet, right? A complete mm-hmm. filmography. Lynn Shelton, in case you don't know, which I'm learning there's PNW, people who live in the PNW who don't know. That's just terrible. <laughs> Lynn Shelton is, was chiefly a Seattle filmmaker, mm-hmm. very much in the Seattle arts community embedded in there. Uh, she started out as an experimental filmmaker before she got her start making her first full feature film. And she's very much an independent artist. She kind of came up alongside the mumblecore movement, which was a, a mid to late aughts thing. The Duplass brothers were a big part of, of the mumblecore. Just what, very what low. What is a mumblecore? So it, uh, as I understand it, if I were to describe it, it's basically this low budget, navel gazy, introspective, uh, relationship or character driven indie films. Did you say navel gazy? Yes. Okay. Yes. Are you not familiar with that nope. term either? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so navel gazy is kind of like this. It, it's a bit of a dismissive description. Okay. It refers to something that's self-indulgent or excessive in its contemplation. Okay. Okay. It, contemplation of oneself, right? It's very internal, right? Mm-hmm. Self-reflective. The term mumblecore, I don't know who coined it. I know those who are attributed to the genre do not u- utilize it. Kind of like 
how like grunge was attributed to a certain type of music and they the people who were a part ostensibly a part of it never okay. actually refer themselves as grunge band okay. mumblecore is a style of low budget film typically characterized by the use of non-professional actors that's another thing i forgot about mm-hmm. and naturalistic or improvised performances that is definitely the case with lynn shelton's work on the whole she did eight films and then suddenly died in 2020 i believe we're big fans of uh, Lynn Shelton. You fall in That's love right. with Lynn Shelton. I introduced you to her. I love her very much. For yeah. myself, way back in 2009, one of my favorite podcasts talked a lot about and championed her film Hump Day, which was big in the critical and cinephile communities. Mm-hmm. It did well in the festivals. And it really, like, it was her third film, but it's the film that got her on the map. All, all of a sudden, after Hump Day, people started lining up to work with her. And then her mm-hmm. next film, Your Sister Sister, came out, and people, even more people, wanted to work with her, right? Mm-hmm. She just was attracting talent. She wasn't attracting big budgets. It wasn't like Marvel was courting her or anything like that. I don't even know if she would have been interested in that. She definitely was interested in TV work. She did a lot of TV work. But this is someone who... Whose work, I will say, is characterized by relationships, be it sibling relationships, be it past friendships coming back, mm-hmm. be it relationships with oneself, mm-hmm. past or, uh, or current. Mm-hmm. This person is, most of her films, uh, I would say 90%, but I'm, I'm almost, I haven't worked through all of her films yet. Yeah. Most of her films take place in the PNW. Western Washington in particular, I should say. But she's never showy about it. She's usually not showy about it. There's one film so far where she is showy about it. And But she, most people, that if they set a film mm-hmm. in Western Washington, they have to telegraph. They have to show you the Space Needle or other Yeah, they have to show you the Space Needle, landmarks. the ferries, the mountains, and a lot Pike of rain. Pike Place Market. And a lot of rain, Yeah. Yeah. That's not the case with Lynn Shelton. This is someone who has a strong sense of place, and so she uses the geography mm-hmm. of the suburbs or the yeah. woods. You have to have spent a lot of time around King County, Pierce County. Snohomish County. Um, yeah, to be able to identify where, sh- where those shots are. And usually yeah. they're little clips, yeah. you know, like, going under the tunnel that takes you uh the, the tunnel that's under the uh mm-hmm. it's been a while um <laughs> what's the bridge where the ducks had the accident aurora yeah so under the aurora bridge on the way to the zoo there's always beautiful wall murals there and there's a shot of that and you wouldn't know that that's where it was unless you're familiar with driving yeah. there so it's it's very exciting for me because I'm like, I can identify most of the places. <laughs> yes. So anyway, anyway I, Sorry. I, I, I hope by <laughs> shortly after the time that you're listening to this to have that article out there uh, for you to read, to learn more about Lynn Shelton and her work. And uh, I encourage you to, to hunt her work down. It also feels like most of the time when she's filming in Washington, she's doing it in this like respectful way. If uh-huh. that makes sense, like her approach to it is very respectful and. Well, she's definitely not an outsider coming in, right? She's very much an insider, mm. you know. So, 
that's reflected well. So th- that's what I'm watching Lynch Shelter movies. Also, I've been bouncing in between preparing for my article after that, which will be my 40 favorite movies of the 40s. Kind of refreshing my memory of some 40 mo- 40s movies I may have seen like 20 years ago. Seeing what's, what movies I haven't seen yet, even though you and I even went through this journey. Mm-hmm. Going backwards through time, there may have been still some movies that either weren't available or just fell through the cracks. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm watching some of those. You and I watched Lady Eve recently. That was one I hadn't seen in over 20 years. First time for you, Henry Fonda, Barbara Stanwyck movie. Preston Sturges wrote and directed. Uh, and, you know, movies like that I'm, I've been watching. So I think, like, in a few weeks you'll be able to see that article. I might even mention it again uh, in future episodes. Also, I checked out a new show on Hulu mm-hmm. that was advertised by Mae Whitman on her Instagram account. She's been really putting this out there. She's very proud of it, very excited about it. So I was like, okay, I'll check this out because I like Mae Whitman. I like Mae Whitman a lot. Mm-hmm. To me, she's more than just the little girl in Independence Day. You know, she's kind of grown into an adult uh, and I don't know, maybe Scott Pilgrim versus the world might have been the first thing I saw of her as an adult, but I like her a lot. She was great in Parenthood also, which I think was running around the same time. Yeah. That series. So Who was she in Parenthood? Oh, she was Lauren Graham's daughter. Oh, okay. Oh, cool. Yeah. So she has a show with Carlos Valdez. Carlos Valdez, <laughs> better known from The Flash as Cisco. Oh, I love him. Yes, so I was very intrigued to see him outside of that doing something com- uh, quite different. Mm-hmm. And so I checked out the show. It's called Up Here. And it is a musical rom-com. That's like eight, eight episodes long. I'm, I want to say five or so episodes into it. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those shows. I'm, I'm very bad with TV, first of all. It's yep. rare that you'll hear me talk about a new show. Yep. And if I do check out a show, like, because there's so much out there and so little time in life to consume things, sure, I'm very much like, <laughs> this has to, like, really click with me in order for me to want to continue. And with Up Here, I definitely had this, like, okay, yeah, I like this, and I'll check out more and see where it goes, uh, which is, for me, kind of, like, I, I have to say, that's that's a high... Not very many shows reach that hmm. from me. So I'm watching it. I'm digging it. It's it's oddly enough gotten very mixed reviews. And I'm not really gelling with that consensus. Because I do think like it is a little bit of this bright light. Mm-hmm. In, in, you know, if you want something that is just purely good and and not wholesome, like something like Bob Hart's Abishola, but like just it's 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 very adult, by the way. That's another thing I should put out there. This oh, is not okay. this is not for the family. This is no family here. The, there's there's language. There's <laughs> sex situations. Sex situations. This is this is PG thirteen. Okay. M- at the bare minimum, this right. is R rated show. I should say. It, Hulu says it's for mature audiences, and I I do agree. Okay. This is for adults. But uh, I think it's, you know, it, there's songs. And I think, like, while I don't necessarily think the songs get stuck in my head, I think 
there is an imaginative nature to the songs and the the production design around the songs. Mm-hmm. So I think there's there's a quite a bit here that's worth checking out. Mm-hmm. And I'm enjoying seeing Carlos Valdez in a completely different environment. I, I I always enjoy it when people get work outside of a show they've been doing for years. Absolutely. That does yeah. not always happen. Yeah. You You're know? Right. And so, you know, I give up here a 7 out of 10. Awesome. That sounds really great. I want to check it out. So that's my week in review. Now let's talk about our week in review. We have just a few things, mostly stuff that we were going to talk about previously that we didn't get to. First of all, Cocaine Bear, which came out in February, oh, my friend. So freaking good. What are your thoughts on Cocaine Bear? It, it, it obviously seemed like this it was going to be a bonkers wild time. Did it live up to that for you? Was it f- as fun as you expected it? Absolutely. I really love this film. It was so funny. It was so crazy. It was like a comedic version of that lion movie that was beast yeah and so it was just so much you know if you compare those two i know they're a little different because i know cocaine bear is supposed to be funny yes and beast is supposed to be like this drama but i really thought that cocaine bear was really more effective with their comedy okay and i enjoyed the actors and it was like this mini americans reunion (laughs) oh right because who I've never seen really the, ranger, the show. The mother and the guy who jumps out the plane in the beginning. Who are those people? Okay, right, exactly. Who's the actors from the Americans? Because I've never really seen the Americans. Oh my god, I'm gonna find it real quick. So from the Americans, it's Carrie Russell who was the mother in this movie yes. and the mother in the Americans. Okay. Matthew Reese who jumps out of a plane in Cocaine Bear, but is the father in. Uh, or husband in the Americans. Uh-huh. And then one of my favorite actresses, Margot Martindale, who was a ranger in this one uh-huh. uh, and the handler in the Americans. Okay. So I just, you know, I don't think that they share any scenes together. Yes. Carrie Russell and Margot Martindale do. They do. I just, I thought it was so funny. I was like, okay, who else from the Americans is going to pop up? You mm. know, I was having a really good time with, with that. Mm-hmm. And Ray Liotta shows up. It's one of his yeah. last performances. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you enjoyed the movie. You had a lot of fun with oh, it. We also had like the one who plays Mitch from Parent uh, Modern Family. That was fun. Yes. I, his name escapes me right now. Jesse Tyler Ferguson. Yes, that's right. Yeah, so it was nice to see him in something different. And then we, you know, just last night, we watched an episode of Modern Family where there's a threat of a bear. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was (laughs) funny. I just thought that that was really funny. Isaiah Whitlock Jr. also is in this film. Oh, yes, I love him. All right. Yeah. Uh, Great casting. Great story. Really well put together. It's directed and, I believe, written by Elizabeth Banks. Oh, it's written by Jimmy... Warden. Warden. Sorry. So directed by Elizabeth Banks, she considers herself a comedy director. And I think that's absolutely the case with this film. It is a comedy with horror elements, natural nature horror elements. And I think it's a leveling up from Pitch Perfect 2, I think, uh, and Charlie's Angels even. Actually, I like Charlie's Angels 
We were not fans of Pitch Perfect 2. I like Charlie's Angels. I found myself having to defend that movie at the yeah, time. Yeah, that's one of those like underrated. It wasn't a movie that I thought was great, but I couldn't believe the hate it got. It's a 4.9 on IMDb. I swear is... they were a bunch of misogynists online. <clears throat> yeah, but I think Cocaine Bear is her best film by far. It's it's mm-hmm. fun. It's wild. It, it may not, like, don't, don't expect it to be the most bonkers thing you've ever seen, but... It definitely satisfies, and it is funny, and it is gory. Yeah, I mean, you got through that gore just fine. Uh, yeah, it wasn't exactly what I expected it to be, as far as that goes. I will say that a lot of, I think, a lot of the gore is after the fact, but it is, it is great. It is, it, well, I won't say it's great. It's really good. I will say it's a seven out of ten. Cocaine Bear. I, I give it an eight. I oh, wow. Was, I thought it was pretty practically perfect. All right. In every way. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's Cocaine Bear. We we do recommend that. Next, we're, ca- we, we're catching up here. We were more uh, topical, but now we have the, the full view of the entire first season of The Last of Us, which, mm-hmm. of course, is based on the Naughty Dog video game. Big sensation during February and March. Pedro Pascal and... Oh, I just forgot the other star's name from, uh, from Last of, of Us. Well, she's also on Game of Thrones, yes, but we're talking about Last of Us. <laughs> and I just forgot her name. I'll find her. Bella Ramsey. Bella Ramsey. Actually, I should correct myself. I believe Bella goes by they, them pronouns. But what did you think of The Last of Us? Is it a game you ever played? Did you have any expectations oh. whatsoever? So my brother played this game uh, and, you know, he would often invite me to come over and and watch. But I'm not really a watch the person play the game kind of person. And but he did tell me about the story. And so my only exposure to it was that. Uh And I thought it was interesting because when he told me the story, he was a little choked up when he did. And I thought that it was interesting that a game was doing that. I think that was the first exposure that. I had through him Ah. with a game with a a cool story like that. Okay. You know, all of a sudden he came to me, I think a week later, and he started freaking out. And he was like, they're going to try and turn it into a show. And so I don't know if that was just like rumors in the early days, because this was years ago. This was like I was living in South Africa. This is how long it was. Right, right, right. And so my exposure to it was only through him. And I'm a fan of the... The actors and actresses. I'm a people pop in and out of this show that yeah. you're a fan of. Someone from Station 19 was in it. Oh, I didn't know you. Oh, Station Merle, 19. Okay. Merle Dandridge was okay. in it. You know, just you know, one of the names that I can think of right now. And Nick Offerman is in it, so that was pretty freaking exciting. Hmm. I I love the structure of the episodes too. It's like we're getting a little story each episode, and I like that. Mm-hmm. Because it's kind of different to Walking Dead. You know, I know that Lost of Us isn't technically zombies, but it kind of is similar. It's more like fungal creatures. Yeah, so easily going to get lumped into that subgenre. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think that you, you know, when you've got something like that, that has existed and gone through the pop culture and all of that, you have to be careful with how you create your own story. And... Either you're going to be the same or you're going to be different. And it's certainly different. Mm. And I appreciate everything that they do differently. 
I like the show, but I have a lot of issues with it. I think I will say here's the thing. Like when I was first watching the pilot, I was not sure I was going to stick with it because ultimately I think the pilot's the worst episode in the entire series. I think the first half of the pilot is really good, but I think the second half really is, is where it started to lose me. But it, 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 every episode after that is, is good. But the problem I have with the show is it seems to be in a hurry in the first season to get to the next thing. So you will have these coming from the guy who was like complaining, when are we going to leave the prison or when are we going to get to the prison in Walking Dead? Yeah, there's a middle ground, dude. You don't have to take a whole season at a farm. You know, I'm sorry, this is really funny to me because like you bitched so hard about things not moving fast enough with Walking Dead. Well, yeah, and here we have something that does the opposite. And you're like, no, it's too much. Yeah, man, Slow it goes, down. It does, I can't keep up. It goes to the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> Absolutely. Walking Dead took something that was like two pages long or so, mm-hmm. like maybe 10. I might be exaggerating a little mm-hmm. bit like 10 pages and they spent 10 episodes on it right (laughs) that's 10 hours okay the last of us takes things that could take three four episodes it could be a story arc and they plow through it in an episode maybe two at the most no no i don't agree with you at all like i acknowledge your feelings but i definitely do not agree oh (laughs) dude the melanie linsky character was the first thing that hit me i was like oh okay so melanie linsky is going to be like the got fucking melanie linsky so clearly she's (laughs) going to be in it for a little while and they're building up this character this you know this character is kind of like the governor of the last of us i get it okay and Sorry, We're I done after two episodes. I can't get over like how upset you are. This is the first time you've really expressed it. No, and I've so expressed it while we're watching the show. Very but... freaking funny to me. So that <laughs> is a common thing throughout the series. Okay, fine. You cast like, maybe they're not A-list stars, but you cast some really great talent and then you dispose of them very quickly or you you have them create these really interesting characters and you just like nope we're done with that character. So that impatience, that hurriedness I think is a problem with the show. And uh, and I do think that it, it it is a move it is a show that it needs to find a balance for crying out loud. Take a little bit more time with your characters and things. And I don't know, because the thing is, like, look, I never played the game. I own the game. It's probably the only game I own that I've never played, mm-hmm. oddly enough. It's just, I knew it was a survival horror game. Survival horror, you're actually experiencing it. That's the whole thing of playing, playing a game is you're part of the action. Mm-hmm. And so I could only do things like Resident Evil 4, which I love, like a half an hour or so at a time. Bioshock, oh, a half an hour really or so funny. at a time. So I never got around to playing Last of Us. So I don't know how it goes. I don't know what the full story is. Mm-hmm. But it seems like we're running out of story after a certain part point. And like... You know, are we going to be stretching it? I know there's a sequel game. I don't know what happens in that game. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't know. Like, I like the series. I think there's a lot of good stuff in the series. I think Pedro Pascal is, he's on a streak right now. Like, mm. You know, I mean, this guy's hot. This guy's very hot right now. <laughs> and so he's doing great, great work. 
Bella Ramsey's doing great work. Very impressive. Anybody who shows up in the show is doing great work. I just feel like the writing is just just racing, you know, through through everything. So Well, I, I love it. I'm having the opposite problem of what you're having. Well, apparently so is the rest of the world. I, I don't know. Like everybody <laughs> loves to go fast in these, these days day and age. They don't well, want to take their time. But, okay. Like each story is well told though. Look, it's really well told. Look, it's not like they're racing and we have unanswered questions. They're completing each episode really well as if it were like a teeny tiny movie. And I think it's great. It, it is a teeny tiny movie. I, I will tell you, I'll give you that. It's like 80 minutes, maybe tops for each story, maybe only 45 minutes to an hour. But it's yeah, I, I just I wish it did more. You know, the Nick Offerman episode oh that was the best that was the best that's one. the thing i was like if you just pepper the series with episodes like that that works that makes sense that i'm good but like to make the entire series almost as like these self-contained stories almost every single time I mean, this well, isn't the fugitive or this maybe. isn't the incredible hulk where they're wandering around and they have to help people in 45 minutes you know or anything like that maybe it Maybe this is just a season one thing. Maybe. I don't know. If it's a season two thing as well, I'm fine with that because quite frankly, I'm happy with how they're doing it, but we'll see. So I give The Last of Us a seven out of 10. I give it a nine. Okay. I'm going to skip one of the things that we were going to talk about and just, and, and get us to the Academy Awards. Let's talk about the Academy Awards. I think, I feel like we're one of the only people we know who actually cared enough to watch the Academy Awards. Because of our work schedules, we weren't able to have our Oscar party like we normally do uh, and have for mm, better part of 10 years, COVID notwithstanding. Uh, so we watched it, and it starts off with supporting actor and actress. Well, it actually started well off with animated feature, but after that was supporting actor and actress, which is as per usual. And you and I were in tears, like right away. Oh my gosh, crying so hard. Yes. So yeah. happy, so happy for winners, Kiha Kwan, for Everything Everywhere All at Once. And, and Jamie Lee Curtis. Thank you. Jamie Lee Curtis, who is probably my third choice, a big surprise, but her speech made me cry. Mm. Not the fact that she won. I'm happy for her because I didn't realize she hadn't won a damn thing in her entire career as far as the Oscars were concerned. Yeah. But do you have thoughts to share about that? Well, I'm worried I start crying again about this because every time everything everywhere all at once won, I just, I just started crying. Which it did. It won, I want to say seven, seven awards, seven awards. I think. Yes. Seven. Yeah. Look, I mean, I think back to when we first walked into a screening and there was a trailer for this movie and, and we heard it mention the multiverse and my head shot up because I knew that Marvel was starting to build this multiverse idea. And I was like, what is this? Yeah. And it was very clear it was not at all a Marvel movie. And by the end, it was an A24 film. Yeah, which we're big fans of anyway. So for an A24 film... Mm-hmm. We, we gushed mm-hmm. about this movie already. But for, mm-hmm. for an A24 film to become an Oscar frontrunner and to earn the most awards in the year. Amazing. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. I was just so pleased. 
Honestly, most of these awards I was pleased with. I have not seen All Quiet on the Western Front. I will not be watching that. I was going to say, and you probably won't um, either. I was perfectly happy that Avatar Way of Water got the visual effects. They totally deserve that. They've created their own freaking technology from scratch. They deserve that award. We couldn't speak to short films or documentary. Top Gun. Or foreign films even. Top Gun got some, you know, recognition with winning in sound. I wanted Batman, the Batman to win, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Makeup and hairstyling uh, was rightly so given to the whale. We haven't watched that yet, but it makes sense from what we have been exposed to. And then animated feature, we have not seen uh, Gilmore del Toro's Pinocchio. But no. it was stop animation, so that was cool. And yeah. I started, uh, I was very pleased that, gosh, now her name escapes me, but the person who did Black Panther Wakanda Forever, I think it's Carter. Is it Ruth Carter? Oh, yeah, yeah, Ruth Carter. Oh, yeah, yeah I remembered. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, the costume yes, designer. Yes, brain working. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty cool because I had to go to photograph a theater production and I got to see that award get given. And the first thing I did, I know I always check in with the teammates there uh, as I went to the costume designer for the production there. And I was like, did you see Ruth won? And we both geeked out about Ruth Carter. So that was lovely. Sarah Pauly winning for Women Talking also. That was the more crying. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of crying because that was definitely, we've spoken about Women Talking, about how special it is with women uh, coming together and sharing stories and creating a space to hear other stories and work through forgiveness. And, well, and, and come to a decision as a group, too. Yes. But, uh, you know, that's a movie that, of course, needed more recognition. It needed yeah. a directing nod. It, 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 I don't know. Maybe it needed an acting nod, too. But I'm glad that it got the screenplay. And it was nominated for Best Picture. Yes, but, thankfully, yes. You know, Let's talk about uh, Best Actor and Actress, Michelle Yeoh. Yes. More crying. Um, it's <laughs> just such a great speech as well, of course. And First Asian American to win Best a- Actress. Which, like, astounded me. I was like, no, surely not. But yes, unfortunately. But it's Michelle Yeoh, so it's it's fantastic. Yes. And then winning Best Actor was, of course, uh, Brendan Fraser for The Whale. And it's just... Which we haven't seen still. It's just amazing, though. And there's been posts about this. From the beginning, Brendan Fraser and Kihu Kwan winning something and, and seeing how they were younger and this is where they are right now. And it's just a lovely story as well about how you don't know where you're going to be 20 years from now, 30 years from now. You don't know. And That's you just got to keep going and you got to keep surrounding yourself with people that believe you. So I think, you know, the Oscars had a bit of a, a Hollywood story itself in it. And then we can end with directing and best picture. Yeah, and Daniels. Yeah, rightly so, winning that. Yes, for a very complicated uh, piece of work that was that was kept clear and yes, uh, winning best picture that was just fucking amazing. And editing for that for oh, the, yes. on that same note, it, it won editing and directing, which I think yeah. in that movie, in in some ways, goes hand in hand. Even Definitely. though they had a different editor, like it wasn't them who edited it. I think. Those were two things that were so essential in order to make that film mm-hmm. as successful as it was in mm-hmm. its execution. And, you know, we meant, we named it our favorite movie of the year. Oh, it also got original screenplay. I'm sorry. I named it the best movie of the year. Yeah. So for us, and, uh, and also, let's be clear, in the awards season, 
this was by far the front runner because it had won, I want to say, 50 more awards plus than like the second place film. You know, and I want to say the the film in second was something like, oh, maybe the Banshees of Inisherin or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it, but it was a distant second for this film, and I think it was well, well deserved. It would have been huge upset. I would have been hugely upset if anything yeah. else had won. Yeah, it was just it was a it was a beautiful outcome. It was exactly pretty much exactly what we wanted and hoped for. Any thoughts on the award show itself? It, it seemed to move along pretty quickly, joking with itself and mm. all of that. The host was fine. Not too many unnecessary segments, as I recall, which sometimes it does make that mistake. Yeah, yeah. We had uh, performances from those, every song. those who were... Uh, Best original song. Sorry, nominees. yes. Thank you. Yes. Uh, and Natu Natu from RRR was a great performance. Yes. I, it was so lively and beautiful and fantastic. Um, One for best original song. Yeah, so good for them. Speeches were, were great. Only a few were cut off, but yeah. I didn't like that. I think I think that, you know, when you have a team going up there, my expectation is that you, we are going to hear from at least two people. So all in all, I thought this was really great. And As- I appreciate that Hulu had it available yes. the next day because we had to separate our viewing. Well, yes, I, I, for the first time in, I don't know how long, as far as I can remember, had to not watch the whole thing on the night that it aired. And that was so wrong. It felt so wrong, but it was the right thing to do. So we could watch at least the above the line awards together Mm -hmm. uh, being presented. So, yeah, I still contend that the best choice that the Oscars ever made was to have no host because I do think that that helps keep things a little bit more lean and kind of keep moving. I do like previous winners coming up and presenting. Presenting. Yep. yep. Um, I, I've noticed that it's mostly it's mostly the performers that will come up and present, and I wouldn't yes. mind seeing the people who worked on Avatar: Way of Water present the visual effects next year. You know, I hear you. Something like I that. I hear you. So overall, we were positive on the Academy Awards. Uh, I know that a lot of people don't care anymore, and there's always every year it experiences less viewers. I think the nominees were a mostly good hodgepodge of nominees and I, deserving movies. Something that we didn't, you know, acknowledge is like movies that got snubbed. The Woman King should have been nominated. Yes, uh, definitely above. Costuming for performance from Viola Davis. Yes, definitely above Elvis in terms of best picture. Yeah. And I I think Triangle of Sadness is the only one we haven't seen aside from the, the war film. So, and the whale. Right, but yes, I was looking at the best picture nominees. But yeah, uh, so Women, Women Talking and Women King were the two biggest snubs, I think. Of that the we can think of right now. entire show <laughs> that should have been nominated for Best Picture and other awards. Mm-hmm. So, but otherwise, we're we're pretty happy with it. It's a pretty decent representation. No one who we thought sucked uh, won. I don't think. I don't think there's a single award that we were upset with. Really, for the most part, there's a couple surprises, but that's it. No, yeah, sound made sense. Top Gun getting an Oscar. That makes sure. sense. They worked really hard on that. Sure. Sure. 
All right, so that's the Academy Awards, and that is the week in review this time. Shannon, before we talk about the next episode of The Movie Lovers, why don't you share with people where they can find you online? You can find me on Instagram at Shanna Paxton Photography and on Flickchart Spellbinding A. Where are the many places they can find you? There's like seven places. Well, there's actually three, but... <laughs> it just always sounds like seven. I'd be happy if they just went to the one. Okay. TheGibsonReview.com. That's the main blog. That's where all this talk about Lynn Shelton and older movies and stuff you'll find on there. Um, you know, there's lots of articles on there as well as past episodes of the movie lovers. Give it a peruse, give it a read. Let me know what you like. Hopefully you like something. Hopefully you find my writing interesting. You can follow along on, on social media. That's the, you know, to direct people to the blog, but uh, facebook.com slash the Gibson review and on Instagram, the Gibson 99. I do bracket polls there. We haven't had one, I think, since the pre-title sequence one. Uh, but we are, at time of recording, doing your favorite 1995 movie. That should be finishing up right about the day before or so of you listening to this. So you can find the results of that on the Gibson 99 on Instagram. Keep tabs if you want to participate in more fun. Okay, so next we have our review episode, and it sounds like Shanna really wants to make the Super Mario Brothers movie review happen. I do. So I'm leaving it to Shanna to make that a reality. She is committing to the next episode of The Movie Lovers. This feels like too much pressure. It's all the pressure. Let's just do Dungeons and Dragons. No, it's all the pressure. You commit. You commit, young lady. (laughs) So much pressure. Look for that Tuesday. April 11th, I do believe. And then after that, we will be doing our favorite TV shows. Usually we focus on film. This is one of the only times we are breaking away from that. We're talking about TV shows on the Week in Review. We will be talking about TV shows in our next film faves list, our favorite TV shows of all time. So uh, that you can look forward to on Tuesday, April 8th. I believe. Until then, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying. Bye-bye. I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the movie lovers. What the fuck are you doing? Hello. I'm sorry. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> okay, let's go again. <laughs>